This is Foxhole Podcast number seven. I'm Joe DeLisi, and I will be hosting today, as always. And um, today we're going to uh, actually do part one of my ebook from the front of the room. And I, I kind of thought maybe I wouldn't do this, but the funny thing is I read it again the other day, and I thought, you know, it's a pretty good book. Um, so I know a lot of you guys don't like to read, uh, but you do listen to audiobooks, And so I thought, well, this is a sneaky little way to get the, uh, get the content out to you. Cause I think it is very helpful. So I'm going to read through, um, the, uh, the ebook today and of course stop and, you know, add some different, uh, uh, commentary along the way. A couple things before we get started. One is uh, I am getting ready tomorrow to go on my second water excursion with one of my coaching groups. Uh, we've got a total of six of us going to head out to San Clemente, California. We're going to jump in the water. We're going to do some free diving. We're going to do some long ocean water swims. We're going to do a little surf torture. <laughs> We're going to maybe even do a boogeyman swim, which is swimming at night, which I'm not that excited about, but we'll, we'll get that done anyway. Uh, we're going to do some some uh, mountain biking and hiking and running and working out in the morning and just basically having a good time. We're also going to do a lot of coaching, early morning debriefing from the day before, prepping for the day, um, staging for the day, getting after it, and then coming back and debriefing again after the day. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, this, again, will be my second one. I plan on leading three or four of these next year. Uh, so if you have any interest in um, any of that kind of stuff, whether it be that type of thing or just coaching in general, head over to uh, foxholepartner.com and uh, we've got a couple of things you can sign up for there. You can do a one-day evolution where you can come to Memphis uh, and just do one day of coaching with me uh, and others in the group. And then we've also got a full year of coaching where I put you in a group of no more than seven people. And we get together and hang out for the full year and do coaching in various events. So, uh, that's that's all I've got to say about that. Head over to foxholepartner.com, check that out, and uh, sign up for uh, information or sign up if you're interested. So let's dive into it. Um, from the front of the room, I'm just going to get right into the book, and we're going to uh, read uh, large portions of it. And then, as I said, we're going to also kind of stop and add some more commentary as I see fit. So, uh, chapter one, the world is about to be either terrifying or amazing. Uh, the world is about to undergo significant changes in the next 15 years on, on par with the agricultural and the industrial revolution. Everything you know about your life will be redefined as the technological revolution ramps up its compound curve. And things like automation, virtual reality, and robotics replace and redefine life as we know it. In the next 15 years, and really in the next five, we will all be forced to deal with a massive shift in how the basics of life are done, and we will not be able to opt out. You have two choices. You can embrace it and thrive, or you can ignore it and die. If you're ready to embrace it, continue on. If not, if you think what I just said is nuts, then don't waste any more time on this podcast. But if you're still with me, and I, I believe if you are, then you're in the top 10% of people. My experience has taught me that 90% of people are perfectly happy and comfortable being uncomfortable um, and leading dissatisfying lives. So they're, 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 they're comfortable with dissatisfaction. 10% of the people are not comfortable, and but only 1% are both uncomfortable and willing to do something about it. So the rest of this podcast, as we break it down into a couple different um, 
episodes, I'm sure, is really for the 10% person. And then actions outside of this podcast are for the 1%. Put another way, uh, you know, I'm putting off a lot of free stuff, obviously. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to attract 10% people. Um, <clears throat> there's probably 30 million of them in America, and I'm looking for those 10 percenters so that I can probably help them from afar, even if we never meet, if we never engage at all. If they can do something that helps their business, their lives, their marriages, that's great. And I mean, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a huge win. Um, but in looking for the 10 percent people, I'm also looking for the 1 percent people that will go a little extra distance and maybe sign up for a group, get into a group, create that brotherhood and that team that we've talked about, learn about their mission in life, and um, really just just change what's happening on a daily basis uh, for them and with them. Those are the 1%. Chapter 2, what I learned in front of the room. For 20 years, I've been both a financial advisor to private clients, and for the past 13 years, I've also been a corporate trainer and coach to financial advisors. Early in my career, I would attend conferences and training sessions and walk away ready to implement what I learned. I'd spend hours and entire weekends learning my craft in my Washington, D.C. apartment while my friends were out on town living a pretty large life. No one understood me. How could a 23-year-old choose one over the other? Wasn't I wasting the best times of my life? When, When I was confronted by my friends back then, I couldn't really verbalize why I was doing it my way versus theirs. I was operating on instinct, or so I thought. Later, I discovered that what many would call instinct, I now know, is a combination of a value set coupled with discipline. One of those, the value set, is built in. It's God-given. It's stamped into me. And the other, discipline, is a learned skill. It's so critically important. It's a learned skill discipline. Um, I just get, I get annoyed, frankly, when people say, I can't this, I can't that. Um, because really what I know is that's just an excuse. There's very little or very few reasons why people can't do something. Um, you know, an obvious reason would be I can't, um, I can't run because I just had knee surgery. That's a reason I can't run because I don't want to wake up early in the morning is an excuse. Uh, and it's just, it's just so crazy that mostly what keeps people back is discipline. It's not that they don't go and they plan stuff. It's just, they don't actually ever do anything about it. If you're one of those people, it's time. It's, it's time to change it. Um, you're not going to change it on your own. You're not going to change it for free in all likelihood. It's going to cost you something in time. It's going to cost you something in effort. It's going to cost you something in money. Um, but you know, it's your choice. You can continue on and, um, maybe try to figure it out on your own and, and maybe you will figure it out on your own or uh, you'll you'll no longer do that and just learn the skill set that is discipline and apply that to everything in your life. As time marched forward, I noticed that I was succeeding while others while others failed. Not just other advisors, but other people in general were failing. They were failing financially, relationally, spiritually, and with their health. I didn't give much thought as to why, and for a time I believed that I was basically just lucky. And it wasn't until I began flying around the country and spending days at a time in front of a room full of people where I began to formulate a different opinion as to why I was winning where others were not. Whether I was in front of a room of 600 or 6, I was always in a diverse crowd. I'm not just talking about racial or gender diversity, but rather emotional, relational, experiential, and other types of diversity. 
I've spoken to just about every type of human being you can imagine, and I found that most of them were failing in life. As an aside, that's kind of tough to write. It's tougher to say, and it's definitely not me saying, "I look at me, I've got it all figured out. It's not that at all. I fail as often as I succeed, and I'm not just saying that. That's actually true. They were not fulfilling what they said their desires were for their businesses, for sure. But as I got to know them more personally, they would admit to me that it didn't end there. They weren't fulfilling their desires in other areas of their lives either. The most disappointing part to me was that many of them had become okay with where they were and how they were operating. I find this to be true of my coaching and advising clients today as well. Many people have grown to accept life as it is and that they are doing good, not great, but that they are surviving. They're marking time. They're counting the days until the weekend or the summer or the fall or the holidays rather than living the life of significance that they say they want. And when pressed on this issue, I either get a blank stare or roll of the eyes or a response like, well, it could be worse. But those days are about to end. Let me say that again. Those days are about to end. The change in technology is about to render many in the workforce obsolete. For those who have settled into the flow of life for several decades, it's about to get really challenging. What I've learned from the front of the room is that people aren't changing because there really hasn't been a reason to. But what is even worse is that given a reason to change, many people still don't. Or they won't. The guy with the cholesterol numbers at 300? Yeah, he still drinks alcohol and eats burgers. The mom whose children are failing at school continues to push the kids to the iPad rather than to engage. The salesperson who's barely validating her, his or her salary, salary accepts it as the norm, as who she is rather than change the pattern. What's going to happen to you if you are comfortably dissatisfied with your life when a robot puts you out of a job? My experience in the front of the room tells me you will either change and thrive in the next amazing world we are creating, or you will literally die off emotionally, financially, and maybe even quite literally physically. So with that uh, <laughs> uplifting introduction, you know, it's funny, I, just, I finished a, uh, my first financial advising book, and I titled it, You Will Not Retire at 65. And I took some heat for that from, from other financial advisors, saying, well, that's not very uplifting, and blah, blah, blah. You know what? I don't care. Because when I Googled like retirement, all the books were how to retire early. But that's just not telling people the truth. They're going to live much longer than 75 or 85. They just, we just are. And so to tell somebody they can continue to do the same thing that they've always been doing, which hasn't gotten them anywhere, but now they can retire early, I just think is a big fat fraud. And to just make it all so nice and, uh, you know, just come at people, just nice. Let's all be nice. Let's all, let's all be authentic. And that's all important, but <laughs> being authentic is being real. And I just see the next world of merging with technology as an unbelievable cliff that we're all heading to or towards. And you've got an option. <laughs> you really do. You have an op- You can ignore it and just see what happens or you can prepare for it. I'm looking for the people who want to prepare for it. So chapter three, five common mistakes I've seen people make that lead to failure. Number one, no team. Not just in business, but a general lack of brotherhood. Number two, no discipline. Number three, no understanding of self, which I would say is values. Number four, no understanding of compartmentalization. And number five, no purpose. 
or no mission. What would you say the odds of you crushing your competition in this new world that we are about to enter is? Are you currently positioned to win financially, physically, and relationally? If you aren't winning now, then what are the odds of winning when the rules completely change around you? If you're thinking the odds aren't great, then you're likely making some or a combination of several mistakes that I've seen others, including myself, make or continue to make. This isn't an exhaustive list, but it is a common list. So number one, you have no team. You may have heard the phrase that you are the combination of the five people you spend most of your time with, and I think that's true. I know several people who have not been intentional at all about who they spend time with, and when that happens, I believe you are literally leaving your chances of living a successful life up to happenstance. I mean, maybe you'll get lucky and have nothing but amazing people around you, 1% type of people. But the odds just aren't great. More than likely, you are surrounded by 90% people who are completely okay with working an unfulfilling job and living in unfulfilling relationships. And if that's true, then it would be up to you to buck the trend and fly in the face of the five people and do life totally different. And you aren't doing that because if you were, the five people who aren't playing at that level would have already left you. So be honest with yourself here. Have people abandoned you because they are on a different path? Here's what that means. Um, I've gotten some questions on that. If your normal crowd that you hang around, let's just say at the office, okay, the people you go to lunch with, the people you chat with, whatever, if they aren't 1% people, if they aren't really winning, if you sound like Charlie Sheen winning, if they aren't crushing it, in, in every area, or at least moving towards that, right? Moving towards success and business and their marriage. And I mean, if they aren't, if they aren't those people and you're surrounded with them and you're the one is just, that has decided, you know what? My relationship with my wife is going to radically change. We're going to operate differently or my body is going to change. I'm going to treat it differently. If you haven't done that in all the areas of your life, um, those people will stick with you. But if you did make those changes and you are pursuing difficult things and, and talking in different ways and learning different and doing different things, those five people aren't going to want to hang around you. I've seen this myself. And again, I'm not holding myself out there as the end all and be all. All I'm holding myself out there is as somebody who's searching and has applied a lot of this stuff in my own life. And I have seen other people walk away. And that's good. Because if you are the average of the five people that are surrounding you, then you only want 1% people around you. And it's probably not going to happen by accident. You're going to you're gonna have to find them. You're going to have to search them out. When athletes leave the arena for the last time, or when military men leave the service, they usually say what they will miss most is, quote-unquote, the guys. They don't miss the awards, the money, or the thrills the most. They miss the team. That makes total sense. For a relatively short period of time, they were in a struggle to move towards a common goal with several others who were doing the same thing. But the modern man and woman has no team. There's no one with which to fight the battles all day and every day. My wife, Jamie, is on my team. But if she's the only one on my team, I will burn her out with the fight. Not that we will fight, but the fight that I go through every day in my business and personally, I'll burn her out. We all need deep personal relationships with our spouses, to be sure, but we need other members on our team as well. We need people pulling the rope in the same direction we are. Otherwise, we are constantly battling the rope being pulled away from us.
Now, most people I coach have little to no team. In fact, the odds are that their spouses haven't even been invited onto this team. And people crave it, but they think they are weird because of it. It's hard to make friends when you're an adult. Yeah, that's why we do it. You know, the spouse thing is so critical. Um, one of my uh, friends and, dare I say, colleagues, Ryan Mickler, um, runs a site called The Order of Man. And he posted something the other day on his Facebook page. Um, you should check him out, Ryan Mickler, M-I-C-H-L-E-R, Order of Man on Facebook. And he posted something along the lines of, um, uh, eat meat, move heavy weights, have sex, be a man, something like that. And, you know, it's funny watching the comments. A lot of people said, oh, you're oversimplifying it. You know, right in the middle of that, the have sex part. This is not something people ever want to talk about. But your spouse, your relationship with your spouse is a physical one as much as it is a spiritual one, as much as it is a um, emotional one. And what I've seen by and large is that if one to 10 was the score sheet, if you're lucky, you're, you're at a five on all those areas. I just don't know how that works. I don't know how you could be an, an, an intensely wonderful, successful business person, or I don't know how you could be the best parent if the closest person on your team and you are operating at 50% capacity, physically, emotionally, relationally. And where do you have those conversations? You know, who, who are you talking to about that, really? Most men I know don't want to talk about that with anybody. And that's a problem because you need team in order to have those conversations. I really want you to think about that for a second. Um, just sort of if you're in the car or you know on the treadmill, you're listening to this on the bike, whatever, just, I don't know, maybe pause it and just think about that. The relationship with your spouse before you have the relationship with other teammates, or maybe you need the relationship with other men around you, or if you're a woman, other women around you, before you can actually go back and engage again with the spouse. But it's just, it's so critical. Number two, <clears throat> you have no discipline. Tactically speaking, I believe lack of discipline is the number one reason for failure. In a world where we are all taught to start with your why and to build a mission statement, I found that we've abandoned the how. Discipline is simply doing what you know must be done even when you don't want to do it. And even more so, doing it even when no one is looking. You can have all the desire in the world to have a rock-hard body. But if you can't push the plate away or lace up the running shoes, all that desire is just wishful thinking. The desire is literally worth nothing. You can have the strongest why as to your goal of building a strong financial business, but without the discipline to call on new clients, your why is worthless. Now, some people would say, well, your why wasn't strong enough. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to um, uh, agency meetings or business meetings and we've got our business plans out there and we've got our, you know, everyone, their books handed out, top sales tactics, or, or even maybe the Simon Sinek book, Start With Why. And we sit and we write and we talk as if we're getting anywhere. When in reality, I look around the room and I'm like, dude, you guys could all nail the why but discipline's a skill. And if you don't have it, the why doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter how strong that why is. It will not teach you discipline. It's, it's kind of like saying, well, if you have a strong enough why, um, it will have you bench press 250 pounds. No, it doesn't work like that. 
you have to work towards 250 pound bench press. Or, well, if I have a strong enough why, I will run a faster mile. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Having a strong why doesn't do crap for you if you don't know how to accomplish it. Oh, man, that one, just that, that more than anything else, I think is just, just killing me right now, going to these business meetings around the country and seeing this done to people. Having a why is like looking for motivation. It won't work. It can carry you through, or I'm sorry, it cannot carry you through all the dips in life. Only discipline can do that. The how. It's great to write down affirming statements or to repeat affirmation phrases to yourself, but until you learn the skill of discipline, you are fooling yourself. If there's one skill that will be more critical than anything else in the next five years, it's discipline. Because as you begin to evolve into this brave new world, others will laugh at you and they're going to roll their eyes at you. Only discipline will keep you working your plan. And folks, I've seen this personally. Um, now, for sure, I've had a lot of people that looked at what I'm doing here with Foxhole Partner and said, hey, this is great. Thank you. It's, it, we were getting something from it. But just as many people are in the wings rolling their eyes, why is he doing this? Who is he? Who does he think he is? I don't think I'm anything special. I'm just doing because I know the entire world of business is going to change. And it's going to change so suddenly that most people are going to be literally finding themselves without a job. You sell disability insurance to doctors, congratulations, you got about five years or less before an app replaces you. You manage assets under management, congratulations, you got about five years before you're completely out of business. Oh, you run a gym for people, congratulations, you are out of business primarily right now from 24-hour fitness gyms and apps like Dollar Workout Club. It's here, guys. Only the discipline to change is going to help you evolve and thrive. So I've got good news or bad news for you. The good news is that discipline can be learned at any point in your life. It's a skill, not a talent. The bad news is that the skill of discipline can only be learned through repetition. And yes, I believe high levels of physical, mental, and emotional pain. This bad news is also good news because 99 out of 100 of you will quit because of the difficulty in acquiring the skill. I've found that given even the simplest of tasks, people won't do them for any duration. I could ask someone to simply post a thumbs up on Facebook for 30 days in a row, and they won't do it. They will quit within 12 days or so. Those types of folks will even ridicule you for trying to acquire discipline. They'll say things like, that's so obvious, that's not groundbreaking information. And they're right. Discipline and its acquisition is neither new nor groundbreaking, yet few have it. This leaves an incredible opportunity for the 1%, because to the victors go the spoils. Number three, you have no understanding of self. If you don't understand yourself, you can't ever have a clear understanding of how you impact others. And without that ability, you will be, sub, you will be a suboptimal husband, wife, father, mother, salesperson, leader, whatever. Understanding yourself is to understand your values. And when I tell people this, they think I'm referring to values such as love of family or some other emotionally based value. But what I'm really referring to here is more of a a characteristic. This is something that was God-given. You can't change it. It's how you came out of the assembly line. One of my main values, as an example, is boldness, and another is loyalty. Now, these aren't inherently good or bad, but they do move back and forth between a positive and negative continuum. It's the understanding of that continuum and how it impacts others that is so critical. 
as an aside here, um, I didn't figure this stuff out on my own. This is why I love to keep pointing out, like, hey, I'm not the end all and be all. I had to go figure this stuff out by finding others. Uh, One of my mentors, Joe Erkovich, um, he's written a few books. Uh, One is called The Leadership Deficit. I believe it's available on Kindle. And uh, there's a new book coming out called uh, The Father Deficit, uh, which will be out soon. He works on this with me, and he explained it to me um, about this continuum between the dark and the light side of of values and characteristics and and being able to self-diagnose where you are with that. It's incredibly valuable as a salesperson, and I think as we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's going to be incredibly valuable on a moving forward basis in the new world that's uh, coming to be. So let's let's use this, let's get an example here. An example of my boldness being used in a positive way would be when I just cut to the core of what the true problem of a financial or coaching client of mine is dealing with. Because in my boldness, I can save them a lot of time and money by just quickly getting to the root of the issue and handling it. It might not even mean, mean that I'm 100% accurate in my assessment, but the fact that I care enough to move quickly to help can literally save people massive amounts of pain, if not just for time. On the flip side, you can also sometimes move too quick or at a speed that the person just isn't comfortable with. And when this happens, I'm not acting in their best interest, but mine. And when that happens, my boldness just means I'm a jerk. In the world that's to come, where robots and artificial intelligence and virtual reality will replace the technical aspects of most work, like numbers crunching, your ability to operate as a high-functioning human who has large levels of emotional intelligence will be rewarded on a scale that you just cannot imagine. And if you ignore this soft part of yourself, you will absolutely lose. In fact, for many of you, it's the reason you are failing in so many areas right now. Number four, compartmentalization. As with most things in life, compartmentalization can be good or bad. I'm not big into relativity. However, with compartmentalization, you need to understand first what it is and second, when it can cross over from good to harmful in your life. So compartmentalization is when you silo off certain areas of your life. This is not only effective in many areas, but sometimes 100% necessary. For instance, if you are a soldier on the battlefield, a soldier on the battlefield, and you're headed out on a very dangerous patrol in a city that is chock full of bad guys, if you don't compartmentalize, You're putting your very life and the lives of the others in your team at great peril. Now, you can't be dealing with things with, like, your spouse or your finances or other areas of your life in this setting. You need to be 100% focused on the task at hand. You You need to compartmentalize. Likewise, in business, you can't take into meetings the thought that you need to make a sale to hit a production goal or that you're in a fight with your wife. Those thoughts will do nothing but um, they, they won't make you effective in that meeting. In these circumstances, you absolutely must compartmentalize your world. However, this ability to detach or to compartmentalize can bring uh, bring great havoc on your life. The mistake I've seen from the front of the room is that some people are so good at this that they never stop. They literally never stop compartmentalizing or detaching. This is when relationships with spouses, friends, and kids break down. Often this quote-unquote high producer will make an excuse that those relationships broke down not because because of any fault on their own, but that because no one understood what it took for them to provide such a good financial life, a.k.a. being successful. But the truth is that the high performer simply didn't understand how to turn off the compartmentalization of their life, and since it's impossible to maintain that, eventually everything breaks down. 
the lack of ability to not to not compartmentalize will preclude you from having the team we spoke of earlier. Examples of those who compartmentalize their lives to the point of massive breakdowns would be people like Bill Clinton or Tiger Woods or, or even Bill Cosby. No matter what you think of Clinton on a political level, you have to admit the guy was the ultimate politician. He had a gift to make you feel like you were the only person on the planet when he spoke to you. Likewise, Woods became a household name by demonstrating an otherworldly ability to play the game of golf. But both Clinton and Woods dominated their professions with an uncanny ability to compartmentalize, to detach from everything else and just focus on the task at hand. Unfortunately, these two men have never learned to turn that off, and what made them amazing likely also ripped their personal lives apart. Both in the present and in the future, your ability to learn and control compartmentalization will help determine your success or failure in every area of your life and work. Number five, you have no purpose. You can also say you have no mission. Not a mission statement. I don't give a crap about your mission statement. Most of you have one, couldn't tell me what it is. What I'm looking for is what are you, what are you on this earth for? Earlier I, I, I talked about it's the how, not the why that so many have ignored. And that's 100% true. The why has become almost jargon now since the popularization with the Start With Why TED Talks and book by Simon Sinek. I think the author is correct in that so many have never thought the why through. But I have a different spin on this. From the front of the room, I've seen hundreds of advisors who have the why. They sat down and they specifically worked on it for an entire weekend, sarcasm intended, and they found it and applied it and even put it on their Facebook and webpage. But when pressed, they really can't sum it up in a succinct way. They can't even repeat it verbatim from how they wrote it on their webpage. Once I was sitting, uh, I was attending a financial firm's meeting where the CEO was in the front of the room and he was hammering his salespeople on the fact they had no why. Now, he had just attended a study group meeting with his peers and they had all figured out their why over some cocktails and now he was sure that the reason his employees weren't hitting their goals was because they hadn't done the same. And I sat there looking around the room. I saw many people pick up their pens and begin to mollify their leader by working on their whys. Now, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut, but that's not exactly how my value of boldness works. So I asked the CEO if his firm had a mission statement. He looked at me like I was literally three years old, and he stated in a very condescending tone that, yes, his firm most certainly had a mission statement. Well, great. I said, well, what is it? His answer dumbfounded me. Well, it's on our website. Go and look at it for yourself. This man had no idea what that mission statement was. He had a why, but he had no purpose. A purpose is more like a life's mission than a why. Now, maybe I'm splitting hairs, or maybe the community of why hasn't addressed it in the way that the original author of the concept intended it, but no matter, a purpose, a mission, is something you can't forget. It's also something that won't come to you in a weekend or in a conference or by reading this ebook or listening to me talk about this ebook. A person, a purpose comes to us while in brotherhood with others. I want to say that again. A purpose comes to us while in brotherhood with others. A purpose like the values that we talked about is likely stamped into us by God. I can't give you your purpose. I can't take you through coursework or an exercise that will reveal it to you. But without your purpose, 
you will not understand why you must have discipline and team. You won't be able to see the correct application of compartmentalization or understand your own values. A purpose is what keeps the 1% people course corrected. While others get distracted by something as insignificant as a negative social media post or an unsatisfied client, purpose will always put you back on the right course. So chapter four, operating in the world to come. In the world that will develop over the next five years, the several decades, you must be able to not only clearly see the mistakes above, you will need to audit yourself and then course correct your behavior. Or don't. <laughs> but the world isn't going to stop just because you're comfortably dissatisfied. In order to break the cycle of mistakes, you need to be willing to do things unlike you've done them before. Let's go back and read that again. In order to break the cycle of mistakes, your own compounding series of bad decisions, you need to be willing to do things unlike you've done them before. So here in no particular order, I'll lay out what I've learned from my time in dealing with people on a very intimate level over the past 20 years. To be sure, money is the last taboo subject on earth. People are more willing to put up naked pictures of their bodies online than they would ever be putting up their financial statements. That's really true, by the way, and sad at the same time. When you handle people's money, you learn everything about them. And it's from these sessions from some of my most successful clients that I've learned how to navigate the world ahead of us. Number one, be intense and resolute about finding a team. This would be breaking cycles and adding force multipliers. Teams provide two gigantic advantages to operating as the lone wolf. The first is that a team can allow you to break bad patterns or negative cycles in your life. An unspoken truth that most of you carry around with you is that you just don't believe you will change. You literally don't think you will change. You want to, you just don't believe you ever will. It's not that you think you can't. It's that you think you won't. For those stuck in this kind of thinking, a self-treatment is often motivational and inspirational tools. Your mind tells you that the only way out of your cycle is through an external stimuli. Well, I think there's some truth to that. Like a team is an example of an, of an external stimulus. The sad fact is that the stimuli often chosen allow you to stay inside yourself. So you're not operating on a team. And then you often fade within minutes to hours after exposure. But a team won't let you do that. The team operates for the whole rather than the individual. So the team can't and won't allow you to continue to tell yourself that you're not going to change. If a team lets that continue, the whole group suffers. So in a team, you'll be pushed to your best version of you, or you will be told to go away. That may sound harsh, but it's just the natural way of the world. As an example, wolves tend to care, um, they, they tend to take care of the elderly or sick members of their pack, but runts get treated horribly. The runts are forced to the periphery of the pack and are denied access to breeding opportunities. From an evolutionary perspective, this increases the fitness of the pack. Now, humans are somewhat more evolved, so the high-performing human team will do everything it takes to get you to produce, but it will not do the work for you. In a high-performing team, you either produce or you leave. You evolve and you grow or you leave. You live up to your commitments or you leave. Is that how you're operating now? 
with the folks that are in your study group, with your manager, with your spouse? Is that what's happening? Are you guys holding each other to high levels of accountability? Or is okay enough? I don't want to leave this point just yet, because I think it is paramount that you will really take what I'm saying to heart. Motivation isn't enough. To illustrate this further, take this example from my workout this morning. Now, I train in a competitive yet supportive environment. This morning was leg day, which I happen to love because it requires a high degree degree of both cardio and strength output. This is a two-hour workout, two-hour workout, and somewhere in the middle of it, I was beginning to give in just a little bit to the pain and fatigue. In the background, there was not music, but a compilation playing of a well-known motivational speaker. I forget the guy's name. Um, uh, Eric Thomas, maybe? Um, You'd know him if you heard him. I could hear it, and it did help me a little. However, at the moment of highest intensity, where I was about ready to back off the weight, as I was actually formulating the excuses in my mind, the team of people around me organically picked up on it and began cheering me on. One person, then another, then several turned around and looked. And not only did I hammer out that last set I was on, but I crushed the rest of that workout. Honestly, if left to my own internal devices or even the external words from the radio, I I know I would have given in. But the team doesn't allow that. A team is an organism all its own, and its power just can't be denied. And that's why I like to say, I don't have this thing all figured out. In fact, I've got hardly any of it figured out, which is why it's so critical that I have a team around me all the time. At home, at work, in my workouts, doesn't matter. The second advantage of a team is that it changes the mathematical equation. So one person can only produce as much as one person. The math is one plus zero equals one. But a team that is purposefully selected and carefully cultivated changes the numbers. I want to back up. You can't just throw people on a team. Study groups are useless. For those of you who are in financial advising um, and you're in study groups, I'm telling you flat out they're useless because for the most part, you threw those people in there together. You might have looked at production, but you didn't really cultivate it. You just sort of threw people in there and nobody wants to kick anybody out. That's why study groups are useless. But let me go back and say it again. A team that is purposefully selected and carefully cultivated changes the numbers. Now, you don't have 1 plus 4 equals 5. Rather, you have 1 plus 4 equals 50. In the military, this is known as a force multiplier. So special forces have been used in a mighty, mighty way in America's war on terror. They're usually selected to work alongside conventional forces. When this occurs, the conventional unit isn't just gaining, say, seven SEALs. They now operate as if they added another entire unit or platoon or more of soldiers. Why? Because the small group that was added as a force multiplier went through heartache and pain to prove that they belonged in that team. In the outside world, it takes all of that and it probably takes fronting money as well. There I said it, and I mean it. You cannot just join study groups because there's nothing that, it doesn't cost you anything. Too many of you give away your time for nothing because you don't value it enough. You'll you'll get on a conference call with people for, for no other reason than that you don't have to go meet with clients that day. It should take time. It should take money. It should take commitment. It should even take a degree of physical output to cultivate the right team. So it would really be a force multiplier. 
The concept of building great teams isn't new. However, we are witnessing more and more humans operating as lone wolves. And sometimes this even occurs inside of marriage. I cannot describe how damaging this is now and, ha- and has always really been. However, in the future, where you will no longer be valued for just intellectual capacity or individual effort, the ability to source and operate inside a team will be critical. There is nothing heroic about being a lone wolf. It's actually the easy way out. To choose to push and pull alongside others where sometimes you will lead and sometimes you will follow, where your effort is noticed and needed, that's heroic. Anyone can play the game by themselves. But a high producer knows better and won't stay alone for long. They know they simply can't do it by themselves. Your next step here is to purposely find those individuals you need in order to build your team. Now, please don't assume I'm just talking only about your business here. You need deep personal relationships. So audit your marital relationship. Your spouse needs to be your strongest advocate and team member. Then look at your friend. Let me go back to that for a second. Now, so for some of you, you might be sitting there thinking, that's not my wife or that's not my husband. You know, alone in your car or with your ear pods on, you hear me saying, that sentence that your spouse needs to be your strongest advocate and team member. And you're saying, you might be thinking to yourself, well, shit, I don't have that. Well, whose fault is that? Now it's so easy to blame him or her, but unless there's some level of like drug addiction or, or infidelity or, um, or, or medical, you know, mental medical issues, the reality is it's probably your fault. <clears throat> the reason why your spouse is likely not your, your best advocate is he or she doesn't really understand your intentions. Or worse, they think your intentions aren't in their best interest. You can't operate like that. You got to switch that. You have to own that. You have to change that. And don't tell them that's what you're going to do. You just go do it. And I promise you, if you do that, your marital relationship will change. And it's not going to change after a week or a month or maybe even six months, but I do promise you it will change. And when that changes, your relationship with your assistant and your manager and your clients and your other teammates around you, it will change too. Intentionality. What are your intentions? It's everything. And it's it's easy to be uh, to have good intentions with, with those that are maybe outside the marriage, but your, your wife knows you so well and you're like, well, you know, she's this or she's that. Nah, it starts there. It starts at the home. (sighs) Then look at your friends, audit them as well. You don't just need drinking buddies, but you need people who completely agree that your life is likely to extend to age 100 and beyond. These people will support your desire to live that life in such a way that you remain mentally, financially, physically, emotionally successful for the rest of your life. A closing thought here is that you may develop one core team, but also have others in other environments. My team in the world of the gym that I talked about earlier is different than my business team. You need that. But you also need one ultimate team, the brotherhood that is forged through shared experiences. Let's do one more. So number two, my favorite, intentionally learn the skill of discipline. 
and then point that skill like a weapon at whatever target you desire. There are so many coaches and trainers out there, especially in my field of financial services, and they all basically say the same things. They teach the same stuff, and you fail the same way. Harsh? Yeah, I guess. True? Yeah, 100%. The sales industry in general has one of the highest failure rates, second only maybe to multi-level marketing. What I'm about to say has not been researched outside of my own personal observation, but in the 20 years I've been in sales, I've never once seen anyone address the how. Not one single time. Everyone tells you what the process should look like. They all teach you what to say, where to click, the, you know, the software, how the, the products work, and what you need to do in order to be successful, but nobody tells you how. Not the people running the companies, not the people running the branches, and not even the people who have actually been able to do it themselves. Oh, they'll surely tell you that you need to call more people or ask for more introductions or that you need to go to more charity events, and the fact is they're right. Sales is and always will be hand-to-hand combat. Even in the coming social media world that we're in now, and it's going to evolve even more, that's always just going to be a gateway to meeting people and selling stuff. But no one I've come across addresses the fact that people in the business world know what to do, they just won't do it. Again, you know what to do, you just don't do it. Discipline is a hard thing to learn. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But it's not a talent, it's a skill. Therefore, anyone can and must learn discipline. Discipline is the how to all of your whys. You can have all the desire in the world to achieve a beautiful marriage, a successful business, or a healthy body, but unless you've got the discipline, your desires will continue to be a pipe dream. Now, before we discuss how to acquire this skill, I think it's important to note that acquiring discipline in and of itself is only half the battle. It does you no good to have the skill and not use it. Worse would be if you acquire the skill, but compartmentalize it and only use it in one area of your life. This creates massive imbalance and will lead to burnout. Remember Tiger Woods? I mean, he had no discipline in any other area aside from the physical athletics. I mean, really, go back and think about that. That man had no discipline in the area of um, keeping his body inside his marriage. This is the guy who could, who could, he could, he could tune out everything but the putt with millions on the line and legacy on the line. And he would just look at the putt and drop it, but he couldn't keep his body inside his marriage. Crazy. Once discipline is acquired, a lifelong pursuit that never really stops. Hear that, okay? Once discipline is acquired, which is lifelong and never stops, you now have the ultimate weapon that you can point at any target you'd like. Discipline is the answer to new clients, better nutrition, successful marriages, robust balance sheet, and healthy bodies. It's the answer. It's it. It's everything. It's the how. I'm sure there are several scientific ways that prove you can learn discipline through any multiple of methods, but for me, the only surefire way to learn this skill is through kinesthetics. There's just something unique about physical activity that requires all you've got. Physical, mental, emotional pain all occur when you push your body. The combination of those allow for the highest number of excuses, not reasons, excuses for you to quit. 
since discipline really is just the act of doing what you know needs to be done, even when you don't want to do it, you must burn the routine of doing into your operating system. It's got to be so deep that you can draw on it at any time and for any reason. Now, I originally learned discipline through athletics and the countless shivering hours working outside in the cold with my uh, baseball buddies, and we talked about that in a podcast before. And through those countless brutal hours of working alongside my brothers, I learned I couldn't quit because it impacted not just me, but them as well. Thus, the requirement of a team. (laughs) I couldn't quit. By the end of high school, I had acquired the most precious skill of discipline, which I then pointed at academics in college, and now I apply it in building a highly successful business. In an industry where most fail, and even those who survive, often have underperforming balance sheets. I mean, they're just like within two months of being broke. There's a reason our most disciplined warriors always have learned it through the trials and tribulations of things like buds for the seals or ranger school for the rangers. You just can't substitute anything for the physical when you're trying to build discipline. One last thought before I tell you what to do to learn the skill of discipline. In my years in front of the room, training and coaching thousands of people, I've observed that those few who did possess discipline were about evenly split in whether they operated on external or internal discipline. For example, I know of very few high producers who were internally or self-disciplined. They didn't need to be told anything twice. If you, if you could demonstrate the reason for an action, they would take the action. And they would hold the action until it no longer was useful or they found a better way to do it. These individuals would indeed work with coaches, but they were working on fine-tuning their game as opposed to using coaches to hold them accountable. The other type of run-across is the externally disciplined person. This person is disciplined and will carry out actions, but needs to be told exactly what to do and when to do it. It may not be a 24-7 coach or trainer they need, but to be sure they operate much more effectively when they are given their marching orders. My wife Jamie refers to this type of person as as a task rabbit. At least one of our kids is this way. And it's amazing at what our daughter can accomplish, but only after being told exactly when and how to do something. I don't, I, there may or may not be a good, bad, better, worse between these two areas of discipline, but I, you know, actually, as I say that, I, I think about it. The truth is, internal discipline is really where it's at because external will fade. You might lose the coach. It's hard to hold on to. People will, won't want to keep you accountable. They get tired of it. So really, internal is what you're looking for. But it's important for you to also be aware of how you operate as you gain the skill of discipline so that you can build the right team around you. The obvious next step here is to go and purposefully search out someone who has demonstrated the ability to point their refined skill of discipline at different targets. You shouldn't be looking for a motivator or a trainer who works on the refined area of skill sets. For for instance, a fitness trainer may be a great motivator. But you aren't looking for motivation. You're looking for someone to get you beyond the feelings because feelings won't last. The person you choose should have a long history of dedicated discipline and someone you've seen operate in both good times and bad. And once you find this person, you add them to your team immediately. Now, one word of caution here, the disciplined individual will likely not suffer your excuses and will not allow you to do things your way or to modify the work that's required to acquire discipline. 
This step is probably the most critical of all the things we are discussing um, for the simple reason that even if you do the rest of the steps I lay out, unless you continue to do them, unless you point discipline at them, they're going to flame out and you'll be back in the old cycle of doing things the way you did them before. As we've already covered, that cycle likely hasn't worked for you in the past and it really stands no chance to, to operate in the world that's going to come. Remember that learning the skill of discipline isn't intellectually difficult. It's been written of many times, and there's really no magic bullet. I'm not trying to make anyone think I've uncovered like some brilliant new human behavioral technique because I haven't. But the information alone isn't enough for you. I know this to be true because we've, we've known the information since the days of the Bible, the Greeks, and the Romans. We just don't do anything with the information. So let's, let's stop there for today. Um, before we get into like discovering values and going down that road. So I've laid out a lot of kind of hard things, but what I want to really hammer into your head is this. Most of you haven't achieved the level of success that you think you could. Those of you who have, we all are going to deal with the future that's to come where knowledge isn't going to be worth nearly what it used to be. Spreadsheets and information is not where it's at. It's going to be, can you handle people? Do you have emotional intelligence? Can you operate on a team? Being uniquely human in a world that's going to be robotic is where the reward is. Not just financially, but personally. With your family. And if you just continue to operate, I don't care how old you are, 20, 30, 40, 50, and you sit here and you say, well, this all sounds good, but I've tried so many things before and I've just never done them. You know what? You have a choice. You can just go back to the 90% and say, ah, I wish I could be better, but I'm okay here. You could stay in the 10%. I wish I could be better, and maybe someday I will. Maybe if I listen to this podcast or read this book, or you could be the 1% and say, you know what? It's time. He's right. The world is changing. I can't just pretend like it's not. Government regulation, government intervention, technological innovation, longevity, the world is changing. We need to change with it or before it. And the only way that's going to happen, in my estimation, is acquiring discipline, being on a team, having an intense understanding of your purpose and your values, and continuously working on them and evolving through time in your business, your marriage, your family, family relationships, your, your relationship with your body. All of these things are intertwined. So as we end today's podcast, um, right before I head out again to California with my with my brothers, with my team, one of my teams, one of the groups I'm taking out there, where we're going to get deep on some stuff, be very transparent with each other, and then go jump in the Pacific Ocean and avoid all the sharks. Um, on the eve of me doing that, nothing could be more front of mind than operating differently than all your peers. So, to close today, again, uh, if, you, if any of this resonates at all, you want some more information, go ahead and go to foxholepartner.com. We've opened up coaching groups. We've opened up one-day evolutions. 
Um, and uh, we also have a lot of free content on there, including this podcast. So if you'd like to support what we're doing, grab a, uh, go on the website and grab a position or a slot in one of those days or one of those year-long programs um, and spread the word as always. And please uh, feel free to leave a review about this podcast on iTunes and jump on our Facebook group and participate in there as well.